sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness, there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. <clears throat> Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the climbing of chariots, they leap on tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of, of fire devouring the stubble. Like a powerful army drawn up for battle, before them peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge. Like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons, and they are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses, and they enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether we will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet, Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, and gather the people. Consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Thank you, Laura. That was great. That's a great reading. Well, again, if you're, if you're visiting with us this morning, um, welcome. We are in the midst of our series going through some of the minor prophets, uh, the book of Amos, and now the book of Joel. We'll be in the book of Joel here for two more weeks. Uh, and then George will be back and preaching through the book of Habakkuk. And, and again, we're reminded, you know, the going through this, this poetic readings like this and, and seeing them in such a way reminds us of the purpose, again, of the prophets, of really to wake us up, to really kind of call us out, to get us to see things. It gives words to things that we, we need to, to be affected by. We need to see this impending judgment. We need to see the injustices of the world like the book of Amos had in Joel here, just reminding us and calling us to wake up and see pain and suffering and what it will mean and how we're supposed to respond to it. 
And we saw last week, as we went through the first chapter of the book of Joel, that really the, this, this image, this call to wake up and to be present in the midst of suffering, to really open our eyes to see it, because so often, just like it was with injustice, we can be blind to the injustices of the world around us and what people are going through. Boy, as Americans, and especially we were talking about the different cultures of Minnesota or other states, and in Minnesota, we can be incredibly blinded to the sufferings of others. Everything is fine. Everything is going good. <laughs> you know, you just don't even know suffering. You can't even put words to it because we can't even see it in our own life or in the lives of others. And so the prophet gives us those words and tells us to remember people's sufferings and to look honestly at suffering, to deal with it for what it truly is. And we see through Scripture that suffering is a real thing. It's not just an illusion, like a lot of religions and worldviews would tell you, but it's real, and it's terrible, and it's overwhelming, that everybody suffers. Everyone is either in suffering, has just come out of suffering, or is about to go into suffering, but we all have I mean, tremendous amounts of suffering in our lives, and it's, it's overwhelming, and it's not God's intention for us to suffer. But thanks be to Christ and to the Scriptures, it's not meaningless. Right? It's, Christianity is so different from all of the religions where we don't look at suffering as meaningless. We don't look at suffering as needed to be avoided, to get out of, but rather suffering is powerful because it's where Christ is doing his work. But just as we experienced last week, I mean, the Q&A was lively, and I think that could have gone on for probably a long time. And Because once we start talking about suffering, and you want to start talking of it and looking at it, be open to suffering. I start to open my eyes to the suffering around me and to the world. I mean, I think the first thing you're really struck by is just the various different types of suffering that are there. It, not everybody suffers the same. So when we make broad comments, or I was making these big statements about suffering, you know, it, it made a lot of us uncomfortable because it's like, well, that may not be true of my suffering, or well, what about that suffering? Or, because the, that's the reality of, of suffering, there's different kinds. There's all kinds of suffering, and then there's all kinds of ways that you respond to suffering. For instance, here in Joel, the suffering that they're experiencing in this chapter is different than the suffering they experienced in chapter 1. In chapter 1, it was the locust. A plague of locusts comes through, and it's tremendous loss and suffering. Now, it's the judgment of God that's coming upon them, and it's going to be tremendous pain and suffering. And as we look at this, I think it's helpful for us to kind of see that there are different types of suffering. And scripturally, I mean, there's a lot. Trumper Longman has an exhaustive list of about like 20 different types of suffering in the Old Testament alone. But I think you can kind of categorize suffering into probably four main groups. One category of suffering that we see scripturally is the suffering that we bring upon ourselves. I, mean, I think you understand this one. A lot of us experience this type of suffering. A lot of you have art, maybe in the midst of this suffering. We experience the consequences of our sin. I have made this choice. I have done these things. And now I'm suffering. I'm suffering for it. I've lived a life geared towards this. And years later, right, you look at Why am I going through such hardship now? Well, it's because of the decisions that you made, the life that you lived. This is the result of what you have done. We see this scripturally. You know, this is Jonah. Jonah suffers. 
He suffers as a result of running away from God. It's not punishment from God, but it's suffering that he experiences because he put himself in that position where he ran. Or this is David and Bathsheba, right, having a ch- this, this sin that he commits, he suffers for it. And he suffers terrible loss and, and pain and hurt. We're all going to suffer at times the consequences of our behavior. But the, also the helpful thing to remember, and this is where Christianity, the gospel, is unlike religion. We suffer as a result of our decisions, but we're not punished by God for our decisions. Right? We're not punished for our sin. I grew up with that feeling, right? You're always waiting for the shoe to drop. If I do this, then God is going to punish me because of this. It's, it's not true. The Lord disciplines his people, but that's different than punishing his people. Romans is really clear. The New Testament is very clear. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Either Jesus died for my sins, he took the penalty, the punishment for my sins, or he didn't. He didn't just take the punishment for some of my sins, and now he just, and he continues to punish me for my sins in my life. No, he took all of the weight, all of the punishment. He doesn't punish his children. He disciplines his children, though. And like a loving father, he lets us suffer the results and the consequences because of our decisions and our sin, calling us back to him. He doesn't punish us. If you have that picture, boy, if I mess up, God, it comes down on me heavy. He, he already came down, but he came down on Jesus for you. Right? He loves you, and he disciplines those he loves, but he doesn't punish them. And it seems that the suffering that we experience as a result of our decisions, the suffering that we bring upon ourselves, God is using that suffering right, to bring us to a place of repentance. And many of you have been brought to a place of honest repentance by dealing with the consequences of your own decisions and your own sin. It's humbling to have to deal with that. It's really a humbling experience. And a lot of us need to be humbled to be awakened to our sin. Another type of suffering, so there's the suffering that we bring upon ourselves, another type of suffering it seems that we experience in our life, and you see through Scripture, is suffering by betrayal. Right, where those who are the closest to us hurt us. It's not brought on by our own sin, but it's brought on by the sins of others, of a spouse who's unfaithful, of a child that rejects us, of someone near us, right? A co-worker, a church member, it, you, people who you feel like should love you and should be caring for you, who made promises to you, and they've abandoned you, and they hurt you. It's a deep pain and hurt. All of us, I'm sure, in some level, have been in this position, either as the betrayer or the person betrayed. We see it through Scripture. This is the prophet Jeremiah. This is Paul. This is Jesus. They will be betrayed and they will be hurt, right? They will have others looking to undo them. And this type of suffering seems like through Scripture, it's not to bring us to a place of repentance. She didn't do any, it's not my sin that led me to this position. But it does bring us to a place of recognizing our need for forgiveness. The need that we have to forgive someone who may never say they're sorry. The ability, the need to forgive God for allowing 
something like this to happen to us that we never thought we would ever have to go through. It draws us to a place of needing to forgive ourselves as well for entering into a relationship with this person or being so naive or not doing enough to stop it. Or, but it, right, this betrayal, this type of suffering God enters into, Christ is there bringing us to a place of forgiveness. The third type of suffering we see through Scripture and in our own lives is really just this universal suffering of loss of people, death and decay. Loved ones die. And it's a tremendous loss. It's an overwhelming loss. It's a universal suffering that everyone goes through. We see it, probably the best example in Scripture is this is Martha and Mary weeping over the death of their brother Lazarus. Jesus is overcome by this loss and cries. There's nothing wrong with feeling the incredible pain and loss of a loved one, of a family member. We will all go through this. All of us have gone through this. And in those moments, it's not about trying to teach us some sort of lesson. It's not about directing us towards repentance. But it does, when we go through this kind of pain and suffering, it does direct our hearts and our minds to the various comforts and hope that Christ really does give. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul speaks of this. And he says, not to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We're going to grieve. We're going to experience this loss, this pain. But don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs them. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. We all experience the loss of someone close to us. And in those moments, though, we've experienced the pain. We weep and we mourn, but our hearts turn to the future hope and glory that we have. We don't mourn like the rest of the world in that kind of loss. And then the fourth type, and the final kind of type of suffering, I think we see scripturally, at least in terms of broad categories, and a lot of it is going to cross over in a little bit of column A and B and C and D. You know, so you have this, this, the suffering we bring upon ourselves. We have the betrayal of those closest to us. We have just the pain of loss of people near us. And the final one, it just seems to be this mysterious suffering. And Scripture actually spends the most time talking about that, this group of suffering that just is senseless, right? That doesn't make sense. That's hard to put into an easy category that you say, I see why this happened to you. I can see where this is coming from, right? Job is the best example of this, right? An entire book of the Bible is dedicated to this type of suffering, senseless suffering. It's not a discipline. It's not aimed at giving us some sort of lesson that we need to learn. But it doesn't mean that it's not powerful, right? And that it's not, and that it's meaningless. To the world's eyes and to our own, it seems senseless and mysterious, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have meaning. And we will all go through it. And it's in this long journey of mysterious suffering, right? In this illnesses, mental illness, disease, physical impairments, natural disasters, I'm just loss that shouldn't be. Children who get cancer, I just, I don't understand why this would happen to me. Why is this happening to others? Why does this happen? And it's a long journey of pain and suffering, and it requires a long, honest look 
at the suffering, and in it we see the hard work that God is doing of reordering our hearts and our lives. So it's helpful for us, as a church, if we're going to wake up to suffering, if we're going to be honest with the suffering of the world, which is what Joel is calling the church to do, open your eyes and look, see pain and suffering for what it is. Don't go on so blissfully with your life, ignoring what is actually at hand or what is actually coming. With this passage we read today, the the day of the Lord is coming fast. If we're going to be open about this, we're going to see it. We also have to recognize that not all suffering is the same. Not everyone is going to experience the same types of suffering, and not everyone is going to respond to suffering in the same way. And it doesn't make your suffering any less significant. But just because you have experienced a betrayal, right, doesn't mean that that suffering is of greater or is of more significance to Christ and to God than those who are going through the suffering of a decaying and aging body. That's a real suffering too. And you shouldn't ignore that suffering because you see someone suffering in what would look like a greater sense. It's easy to kind of prioritize or to kind of put suffering on a hierarchy. I mean, like, well, I, I don't experience suffering because I have never suffered like that. So I'm good. No, that's just not true. And, and then it's easy to get into that position of those who have been incredibly hurt, who have gone through great suffering, to look upon others with that scorn and judgment, you don't know. You have no idea. You've had a perfect life. You have no, you can, you have no idea what it's like to suffer. That, that's not true. This is a universal experience of pain and suffering. We all have it, and we need to open our eyes and, be, and recognize that, that suffering that's there. And while there's a variety and difference of suffering, there's also a variety of responses to suffering. You see this through the book of Joel, and we see this in our own lives as well. Uh, George gave a great sermon as that kind of bridge sermon out of Amos before we started the Joel series, uh, talking about this. A lot of this is kind of, and I would highly recommend that book that George referenced in that sermon. It's walk, I should have brought a copy of with it, but it, by Tim Keller, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It's a really excellent resource. I really encourage you. A little side point. I mean, if you need to open up your Amazon app and just buy it, go for it. But Tim Keller, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And it's really where he, he, this is where a lot of this comes out of, especially these different layers of responses and, and the way that, that Tim thinks of things is just so systematic and helpful. Um, but in that, you know, he talks about how everybody experiences suffering differently, but that there is some universal experience within it. That when you would go through suffering in such a way that it really affects our soul, when we're open to suffering and, and we feel it, we're in the midst of it. And it could be any of those categories, right? I mean, so put yourself in that category. Where, where are you? I mean, all of us are in suffering, so that's not the question. But what's your type of suffering that you're going through? Is it because of your own behavior? Have you been betrayed? Right? Is it just the aging of your own self, which is a hard suffering? or the loss of others, or you've seen the death of others, or, or family members who are dying, who are aging. I mean, or is it this mysterious, senseless suffering that you've been going through for a long time, and you feel like nobody understands? Well, as we go through this suffering, we respond differently, and there's those five different responses that George laid out in that sermon. If you want to listen to it, it's, it's worthwhile and on the podcast. But that first response that we go through is isolation. Right, you may remember this where we isolate ourselves. And this is a normal response to pain and suffering. 
When I'm in the midst of my affliction, I don't want to be with people. I don't run to community. I run to myself, and I want to be alone. And that's, and that's where we're at. And, and so we have to honestly see that someone, when they're going through pain and suffering, is going to want to be alone. There's going to be an isolation in things. There's also this implosion that happens, and that's the second piece. That first one was isolation. The second one is implosion, this inward, right, where you just can't see past yourself for a while, right? Like, I just, I know there's other things going on, but I just can't, look, I got, this is all, this is all my world can see at the moment, right? I'm dealing with this. A lot of you have been in this spot. You're like, I just got to focus on myself for, for, for a window, for a few weeks, for a few months. I mean, I, I can't look past this. Because it, it, it is. It's all-encompassing. Suffering and affliction is so real and devastating that you can't. You can't see past yourself. The third feeling that we all go through when we're in this state is this condemnation. Condemnation is the third one. Really the feeling of guilt over the causes and the circumstances of the suffering. We've been so, we're in so inwardly looking, and as we're inwardly looking and isolating ourselves from others, right, it's that inward cycle of thinking through what you have done, how it has affected others, what they did to you, what you did to them, how this is playing out, and, then the, and the guilt and the feeling of shame, and why me, how could this be, what did I do I'll never be able to fully have a good life again because of what I've got. Just the weight of that condemnation, which really feeds into the fourth response that we have is, that, is anger. And to some level, we all experience anger in our afflictions, in our suffering. And that anger could be directed at, it seems like almost anybody. And I mean, those of you who, who know this well, right? I mean, know this, that, that it just rears up all of a sudden, and where did that even come from? I didn't even know I had anger until this, until this person just asked me this question, or this just, I, I, whoa. And it, anybody can be the target of your anger, but it often gets directed either at yourself or at others or God, at life in and of itself. But there's, there's deep anger, right? Why? Why did I go through this? Why do I experience this? And then that fifth experience that we all go through when we suffer is that temptation. And it's not just temptation to cope in a bad way. Right? We all understand that temptation. They're like, I'm in pain and suffering. I'm going to run to drugs or alcohol or something like that. That makes more sense. But this is the temptation really towards self-righteousness. That's the strongest temptation in our affliction, in our pain and our suffering. This lifting ourselves up in our pain and our suffering and where we judge others. Where we say, where we, we become this noble victim who nobody can understand and nobody understands us and that we can look upon those who hurt us and everyone else with scorn and judgment and distance. That's the greatest temptation. It's easy, right? The temptations to, to medicate into all kinds of sin, but those are, those are there all the way through. But this temptation to become self-righteous in our pain and in our suffering is the strongest temptation that we're going to feel. And as Tim points out in the book, 
And it's really true, and you see it scripturally, and you see it in our hearts. All of us go through these, have these five. When we go through experiences of suffering, we're going to experience these five things. But we're going to experience them differently. It's a, right, it's, they're not all experienced the same, and depending on the person and the type of suffering that we're going through, I mean, some will deal with anger far more than others. Some are going to deal with isolation far more than others. Right? We're going to kind of mix and match those and experience them all differently, but we have to recognize that we're going to go through them all, and, and that there will be a different experience for different people, which explains a lot. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this in the church or just in life. When someone's going through pain and suffering, you try to comfort them, and it doesn't work. <laughs> Right? You, well, why doesn't this work? I went through, when I was in pain and suffering, this person gave me this book, and it was really, right, powerful. Here, here's this book, right? And they, it, it's the opposite effect of what you thought it was going to give for them. And this is true because we're all experiencing pain and suffering in very different ways, and our responses to pain and suffering are very different as well. There's no kind of one size fits all program for dealing with pain and affliction with dealing with suffering scripture doesn't give us kind of a seven steps or whatever number of step program for dealing with your pain and your suffering which then leads us to that feelings of like well i just don't even know i'm just not even going to attempt you should probably see somebody i don't think i could really i don't know what to do here and those feelings of i don't really want your help because you can't really even help me anyway it just it continues to feed that. There's no, there's no program. Scripture is really clear with suffering. We all feel it. We are all going to go through it. It's incredibly real. It's incredibly painful. It's overwhelming. And it's not what God has intended for us to go through. But it's never meaningless. We're all in suffering. And we all go through it in different ways and in different, and different responses. But it's never meaningless. Again, the striking response of Joel. If you really look at Joel is a really, I mean, striking. The language is really striking. As, I mean, Laurie and Kat have done a great job of reading these last two weeks. I mean, it really impacts you as you read these books. And the response of Israel to both instances of pain and suffering is really startling. The response of Joel is to really take inventory, to repent and to worship God, whether or not he relents. He may not relent of the judgment that is coming, but let us worship him and let's seek him and let's be honest with him. It's a different suffering from chapter 1, but the response is very much the same. Return to God, fast, weep, mourn, and worship God because he is good. This is what the people of God are called to do in the midst of suffering. Whatever the suffering. If, if it's the loss of a loved one, if it's suffering the loss of a family because of your own sins, if it's the suffering of the loss of betrayal, if it's a mysterious, long suffering, we still weep together. We worship together. We approach God because he is good. We honestly approach our pain and our suffering. That's the first piece that Joel is calling us to do, is to be honest. Right? Just be honest with ourselves 
and to be honest with others, with those around us. Speak of our suffering. Stop ignoring it. Stop minimizing it. Right? There's a reason. It's like, oh, I keep going through this. Oh, why am I keep going through this suffering? Well, maybe, maybe because you need to own up to the suffering that you're going through. Maybe because Christ is trying to reorder your heart and your love. Be honest in your suffering and honestly suffer with your brother and sister. Weep with them. And honestly approach God and worship Him because He is good. These are the responses. And they give that great little phrase there in Joel, right? Of rending our hearts, not our garments. As we as a church look at this, right? We need to take an honest inventory of our suffering and our responses. So, I mean, think of this How are you currently suffering? What kind of suffering, what's the greatest source of suffering in your life that you're going through that causes you that greatest affliction, that feeling of just unsettled pain, worry? Like, what is the source of your suffering, the greatest source of your suffering in your life? Are you honestly even seeing it? Right? Have you been avoiding your suffering? Honestly look and see the suffering that you're in. And then honestly... Right? Try to categorize it. Are you being disciplined by a loving father? Maybe the world is not against you. Maybe it's not everyone else's fault. Maybe you need to take some ownership of the position that you find yourself in, of your pain and your suffering. Is the suffering that you're experiencing the betrayal of a loved one, of someone close to you, that you thought this son or daughter should love you and they don't. That you thought this spouse would be with you forever and they're not. Is it a deep loss of someone close to you? Is it senseless? Can you find no meaning at all in the suffering that you experience? Well, how are you responding to your pain and your suffering? Where are you rending garments and not hearts? Right, rending garment. Where are you just outwardly looking the part? Right? Doing what's required of a Christian in the midst of your suffering. Right? I, I'm going to the community, I'm asking for prayer, I've told my house church leaders, my elders, I've you know, I'm doing things right. And where are you actually opening up your heart? How is God using your suffering? What is he actually trying to do in you? What is he trying to work in you? Is he drawing you to repentance? Is that a possibility? If he is, praise God, right? Acknowledge your sin and experience forgiveness. Experience righteousness. This is it. I mean, do you need to acknowledge and repent of behavior and your motivations? I mean, find somebody and do this. Repent. Is he drawing you to forgiveness? Do you have a hard time forgiving the people in your life who have hurt you, that you feel like should be treating you better than they do? Do you need to forgive some people who will never ask to be forgiven? Draw near to the Lord and experience forgiveness so you can forgive others. 
Are you in the midst of pain and loss, and Christ is calling you to experience comfort? Draw near to Christ and experience peace and comfort. Is his work in your life going to be a long one? <laughs> right? Are, is this look like there's no end in sight? Praise God. Because of that work is going to be glorious at the end. Right? Are you a long-term project that he is reordering and working so that you will be glorious and beautiful one day? Do you need to stop thinking so much about yourself and start serving others and being grateful for Christ and the work that he's doing in your life? We have to be honest. We have to look at what are our go-to responses to suffering. Do we just ignore it, plow through? You know, and a lot of that's cultural, deep-rooted issues in us that we've got to flesh out. You know, do we go straight to medicating ourselves? Do we go straight to distractions? I mean, how do you deal with your pain? Are you praying? Right? I mean, honestly, are you honestly praying in your pain and in your suffering? And if you are, I mean, what are you actually praying for? You know, do you pray the way that Joel calls us to pray, or do you just pray that your suffering will end? Are you talking to other people? And if you are, what are you talking about with those people? We weren't designed to handle suffering alone, right? The biblical model of suffering is to gather, right? What we're seeing in Joel is like gather the nation. We need to call a fast at assembly. We need, to, we need to worship together. We need to suffer together. We need to experience the goodness of God together. I mean, are we doing that? Are you doing that? Is there even a space to do that in your life? Are you turning to the gospel? Are you letting Christ train you to experience pain and suffering? Next week, we're going to go through, Joel is next week is going to go through really how our motivations change in light of the gospel. But we have to start now. We have to start letting the gospel reorder the way that we experience life and the way that we experience suffering. Because if Jesus really is who he said he was, if he really is our true king and the only one who truly lived a good life, a life that actually deserved blessing, the one who actually lived the life we were intended to live, and who actually, instead of experiencing blessing, experienced, excuse me, all of the pain and the suffering that we experience. I mean, you look at those categories. He experienced all of them, and even more than any of us could ever. You talk about betrayal and loss and hurt. He's really experienced the pain of all of these things. He knows what suffering is, And instead of receiving the blessing, he takes our suffering and he turns it into joy. He suffers in our place so that we will never suffer the way that he did. And then he rose from the dead to secure for us a hope and a future of what's to come. I mean, the picture of Christ suffering for us. I mean, how can I? It changes you. It changes, it reorders your heart. The Lord of the universe knows us so well. Right? He knows me fully. He knows all my good and all my bad. And he knows my pain and my suffering. We don't believe in a distant God, unlike every other religion that has a God that's very distant, right? that's up in heaven looking down upon us. We're in the kind of mice in a, in a maze kind of idea. No, that's not our God. He knows us. 
He's entered into our pain and our suffering. He knows what we go through. He knows it better than we do. And he took it upon himself so that we won't have to experience it fully. You can't look at Jesus suffering on the cross and not have your heart changed. Right? How do we fight that implosion, that, that, enable, that just isolating, overwhelming suffering, the affliction where we just can't see past ourselves? Look to Jesus. Right? Look to Christ on the cross. Look at his suffering and the truth of Jesus and what he does for us. Let it settle deep into the recesses of your heart and experience peace. Because Christianity is unlike every other religion, every other worldview, every other philosophy tells you to live it up now. Enjoy the good times because the bad is coming. That's what every religion, every worldview says. Bad days are coming, so you better kind of hoard up your good now. You better enjoy it now because the bad is on its way. Christianity gives us hope, lets us have a foretaste of the glory now in the midst of our pain and our suffering. We're not looking to avoid pain and suffering. Rather, we get to experience Christ in the midst of our pain and our suffering. I think of Job. Right at the end of Job, he says, you know, I've always heard of you. I knew you, but now I see you face to face. I I have experienced you in a very different way. This is the hope of the Christian. But we have to be honest. We have to be honest with ourselves and with God, and we have to let Christ and the love of God settle deep within our hearts. And we need others to do this. We need to be honest with ourselves and with one another. And we need to honestly worship God because he is so good.